Today's reading is Luke chapter 14, verses 7 through 25. The Parable of the Wedding Feast Now he told a parable to those who were invited, when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, Give your place to this person. Then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, Friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. The Parable of the Great Banquet He also said to the man who had invited him, When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return, and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed, because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. And the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of these men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Before we jump into this week's sermon, take a minute on each of the following three questions. You'll probably want to hit pause in between so you have enough time. In light of this parable, number one, who is God and how do I relate to him? Two, in light of this parable, who am I and how does God relate to me? Three, in light of this parable, how is God calling me to love him, his church, and my neighbor more? After listening to this week's sermon, go back and spend a few minutes reflecting on how your answers may have changed or not. You may be surprised by the difference that Jesus makes. Well, hi, Table Church. It's great to be with you. Uh, My name is Bryce Hales, and I'm excited to be here in Lafayette with uh, you all for a week experiencing the frigid weather uh, here with my wife, Ashley, and our four kids. And I'm excited to uh, be preaching this weekend. Brad was gracious enough to uh, let me uh, take one of his favorite passages, which is also one of my favorite passages um, in Luke 14, this passage on, um, on hospitality. Uh, so I just want to dive in. Hopefully you've had a chance to read the passage before, um, and I just wanted to, uh, to dive in and get started. Uh, I know it's, we're into February now. At the end of January, my, my wife and I have traditionally hosted a uh, burn supper, which is 
a, uh, if you don't know, it's basically just a great opportunity to invite friends over and have a, uh, a good meal, uh, plenty of beverages together. It's just a great excuse to throw a party. Um, and it's traditionally a, a event that's held at the end of January, celebrating the life of Robert Burns, who is the national poet of Scotland. And I was thinking about it recently because of COVID, we didn't host our annual party this year. Uh, but as we passed the end of January, I was thinking back and remembering previous uh, Burns supper evenings when we have uh, just made great memories with good friends and enjoyed an evening together. But one of the things that always happens in the middle of these parties is we'll be having a uh, dinner, having a great time, and then there will be this patter of foot footprints or you know foot uh, feet on the stairs. And of course, it means my kids are sneaking out of bed and they're coming downstairs, and I've got to get up and leave the party and go uh, put my kids back to bed. And uh, this happens over and over and over, and uh, and and it gets so frustrating. And I and I just, you know, uh, think to myself, what is wrong with my kids, and why can't they just uh, stay in bed? It, it's so frustrating. Uh, until I remember my parents hosting a dinner party, and they had put my brother and I to bed, and told us to stay in our rooms, but we crept um, you know, over and, and leaned over the banister and tried to get as close as we could, wanting to take the whole thing in. I had been that kid. Uh, there, there's something about a party. There's something about a feast that draws people in, that, that makes people feel uh, welcomed, dignified, loved, included. This passage in Luke 14 is a passage about a party. And what's happening in this passage is that there is a really bad party going on where Jesus has been invited to this party. And it says in verse 1, in verse 1 it says that the Pharisees are watching him. They are looking for an opportunity to catch him. And they are falling all over themselves for the places of honor at this party. And Jesus is not impressed. And so as he's at this party, that's kind of comical in, in, in its um, you know, hilarity of people looking for the places of honor, Jesus tells a parable about another party, another feast, another banquet. And this party that Jesus describes is quite literally the best party in the world. And what Jesus is telling us in this passage is this, God is throwing a feast and he wants to invite us and he wants us to invite others. It's called hospitality. In our day, uh, the term hospitality has almost totally vanished as a category for ministry. I know it's a big part of, uh, of, of your philosophy of ministry here at the table, uh, which is incredible, but the word has been almost totally stripped of Christian character in our culture. Hospitality so often refers to us entertaining our friends, or it refers to the hospitality industry uh, providing services. And maybe, just maybe, hospitality provides to the people who show up early for church on Sunday when you can actually meet and make sure there's coffee and donuts. But for earlier Christians, the church uh, was a new household. It was the family of God. And it was our job to bring people into the feast that God had prepared. 
This is the practice of hospitality. And in the ancient church, the practice of hospitality did two things. It communicated that each person was valuable and worthy of respect. It gave dignity to people of different social status and background as they ate around a common table. And then secondly, hospitality was a means of physical care for the poor, the stranger, and traveling Christians. We have lost that ancient practice of hospitality, that ancient Christian practice of hospitality, and we need desperately to recover it in our time. Because it was the church's practice of hospitality that let the whole world know, no matter your belief or your background, no matter your social status or lifestyle, rich or poor, old or young, no matter who you were, that Jesus' church is a place of refuge where you will be cared for and you will be given dignity. It hardly even needs to be mentioned that that is not our reputation today. We desperately need to recover the practice of Christian hospitality. So how would we do that? Well, look at this passage with me. And I want you to notice two things in this passage. What does this passage tell us about who God is? And what does this passage tell us about who we are? So first, what does this passage tell us about who God is? Well, it tells us that God is a gracious host, that he eagerly longs to welcome us into his lavish kingdom feast. Consider the passage with me. Jesus is at this party, and everyone is there for uh, one reason, for social standing. There was a, uh, this is a, a culture based around honor and shame, and there was a, a strict hierarchy, an arrangement of places where the tables would have been, or really couches would have been arranged in sort of a U shape, and the host would sit at the, uh, the, the head of the U, or I guess the bottom of the U, and then the places of honor were, were understood to be how close you were seated to the host. And so everybody is uh, understanding this in this culture, and in this party where, where Jesus is, uh, is in attendance, um, everybody is clamoring for the spot that would bring them the most prestige and the most honor. I mean, it sounds absurd to us, doesn't it? It sounds strange. We would never go to a party and, um, and be, be kind of seeking out social status for ourselves, would we? Well, of course we would, right? Uh, uh, I, I love, uh, I have to, my, my guilty pleasure is, um, is watching HGTV. I, I mean, like uh, home improvement is my love language. And, um, and so I love watching these shows of people who buy a house and fix it up and sell it for a profit. It's kind of my, my dream. But um, there's one show that just drives me nuts. Uh, the show's called House Hunters. And here's what happens every episode of House Hunters. It's, it's almost always like a young couple looking for their first home. Now, I live right now in Southern California where a young couple looking to buy their first home, the criteria is like, does it have a roof? <laughs> and so when I watch House Hunters and I see these young couples with, uh, you know, wide eyes looking for their first home to purchase, um, I, I have to chuckle at just how wildly unrealistic their expectations are because they've got to have four bedrooms and they've got to, but all these things. But the one thing that every couple ever on this show has said is we have to have room for entertaining. And I just think that whole concept of entertaining is so comical. I always picture like the husband coming out on like a unicycle and he's juggling for his guests, like entertaining. Um, 
is not <laughs> biblical hospitality. Um, you know, entertaining is more Martha Stewart than it is Christian hospitality. It's, a, it's about subtly showing off. You know, we've got new granite countertops. We're going to wow you. Um, but look at this parable. It pictures God as a gracious host. He says, come for everything is now ready. He is eager to celebrate. He says, my house must be filled. He's almost manic. He says, compel them to come in to the feast. This is fundamental to God's character. He is a welcoming host. Greg Thompson is a, uh, let's call him a theologian. <laughs> and uh, and he, he points out that Christians tend to fall into two camps when we think about who God is. We tend to think of God either as a judge or God as a healer. And the Pharisees who are at this party, they think of God as a judge and they think that God is going to judge them favorably. But Jesus tells them that God is eagerly bringing all sorts of people into his feast and they don't want any part of that. We think of God as a judge or we think of God as a healer. And let's be clear, God does judge and God does heal. But neither of those is fundamental to his character. According to the Bible, God is a host. I mean, consider with me, um, this is so clear throughout scripture. One way to tell this, the, the history of the Bible, the story of the Bible, is that the Bible is a story of what God does in order to bring us to a meal with himself. I mean, think about just some of the highlights. After bringing the people of Israel out of Egypt and they wander in the wilderness for 40 days, God provides them manna from heaven. Rahab is commended for sheltering the spies in Canaan for providing hospitality. The Psalms speak of God as a host, declaring that God can spread a table in the wilderness and comparing the kingdom of God to the banqueting house of a great king. The prodigal sons, the most famous of Jesus' parables, uh, pictures God as a father who goes out to each of his wayward sons in order to welcome them in to a feast. In Matthew 22, the parable of the wedding feast, Jesus says the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. Jesus fed 4,000 people. Jesus fed 5,000 people. Everywhere Jesus goes, he's sitting down to eat with people. The whole of the Bible tells us this. This is God's character. He longs to provide a safe and warm welcome to his people. The whole story of human history is moving towards a great wedding banquet. God says, my house must be filled. What does that mean for you and for me? I don't know about you, but I know about myself. I have this deep longing to be found. Just the other day when we were driving out here, we got into this conversation uh, with our kids over lunch. My oldest son was asking uh, my wife and I, uh, did you ever try to run away from home as a kid? And I was telling my son, he's 13, um, I did try to run away from home once when I was uh, a kid. I was probably about his age. I was so angry at my mom. I have no idea why now. Um, and I remember going and getting my wallet and leaving the house and I made it as far as the end of our driveway. And then I sat down there and I just waited 
And uh, I didn't have the guts to go any further. But what I was longing for was to be found, for somebody to come out and say, this is your home, you're welcome here. I think we're all longing for someone to come and find us, to discover us. You know, we long to be discovered uh, in our work, don't we? I remember when I was in college, I got a, a voicemail from the office of the president of our college, and I thought, finally, I've been discovered. Uh, turned out the only thing that they had discovered was my massive amount of parking tickets, but uh, <laughs> um, we, we long to be discovered in, in, in arguments with my wife. I want to hide because I want her to come and find me. And friends, this is the gospel. God has come to find you. He wants you. Jesus leaves the riches of his father's home to come to earth, to seek you out, to find you. This is who God is. He is a host who invites you into his kingdom feast. Secondly, What does this passage tell us about who we are? Well, we are guests at the feast who become servants. We are God's guests, but once we have received God's welcome, we become the servants who are sent back out into the streets to invite, to welcome, to urge others to come into the feast. It's always fascinated me that the word Jesus uses here is the word compel. He tells us compel them to come in. What does that mean? It, it means that it's our, it's our uh, privilege and responsibility as those who have been welcomed to the feast to invite others who are not particularly inclined to show up at the feast, to bring them to a place that they are not especially eager to go so that they will find welcome. It's our job to bring others to the feast. There's a great article um, I read recently called Lest Innocent Blood Be Shed. The story of Les Chambon and how goodness happened there. It tells the story of Christians who understood that God had welcomed them into the feast and so they must welcome others. It's the story of how Pastor Andre Trachma, the pastor of a church in a small mountain village in the south of France, led that community to shelter uh, Jewish refugees during World War II as their country had been invaded by the Nazis. And... um, The article says this, in the third year of the German occupation, on the evening of February 13th, 1943, a police car pulled up outside the home of Reverend and Mrs. Andre Trachma and Les Chambon. The pastor was not at home and his wife Magda, after quickly helping the Jewish refugees, mostly children, in her house to hide in the basement, opened the door to the police. The police standing there asked her where her husband was, to which she replied that she didn't know he had gone out to visit members of the congregation and he would be home soon, she said. Magda Trachme then invited the policeman to sit down and have dinner with her. 
Later, friends would ask her, how could you bring yourself to sit down and eat with these men who were there to take your husband away, perhaps even to his death? How could you be so forgiving and so kind? This is her response. What are you talking about? It was dinner time. They were standing in my way. We were all hungry. The food was ready. What do you mean by such foolish words as forgiving and kind? This is who we are. (laughs) We who have been welcomed by God must welcome others to the feast. We who have experienced the lavish grace of being brought into the, the banqueting, the kingdom banquet of our God must welcome others. But we will never be hospitable to our neighbors until we have experienced the hospitality, the welcome of God himself. Ask yourself this, what does it cost you to come to the feast? Well, the good news is it doesn't cost you anything. But it cost Jesus everything. We've been invited to dinner, and I don't know about you, when somebody invites our family to dinner, we say, great, we'd love to. What can we bring? You know, there are, there are some cultures where it would be considered rude or offensive to show up uh, as a guest at someone's house empty-handed. You know, you bring a bottle of wine, you bring a, a bouquet of flowers, it would, be, it would be offensive to show up empty-handed. But in God's economy, we always show up empty-handed. When I was in grad school in Edinburgh, Scotland, um, there was a ministry uh, non-profit in the city that was uh, coordinating, coordinating overnight shelters for the homeless in the city once the temperature uh, dropped below you know, a certain, uh, a certain temperature. And uh, our church there was asked if one night each month we would be willing to open the church to, to host this overnight shelter um, for homeless people in the city. And I was, um, you know, uh, training to be a pastor, and so I was sitting in on the elder meeting where they were discussing this, and it was, <laughs> it was honestly a little bit strange to see the elders kind of weighing the pros and cons and hemming and hawing about whether um, they were going to do this. And, you know, in typical uh, British fashion, they were very kind of reserved, and nobody was coming right out and saying what they thought and all of a sudden, my friend Pete, who um, is Australian and, and, and kind of, you know, more brash and sitting in the back of the room, I hear Pete blurt out, poor people in our church? You know, the absurdity, right? And, uh, and, and that pretty much settled uh, the matter. <laughs> uh, because who do we think we are? You know, there, there are only poor people. There are only poor people in the church. We don't come to the feast because uh, we received the invitation and put it on our calendars and showed up at the appointed time. We come to the feast because while we were poor and ignorant and wandering, Jesus left the riches of his father's house to come and find us, to, to, to bring us to the feast, to compel us to come in, to clothe us in his righteousness 
He's preparing that feast now and he has given us a foretaste that we experience as we worship, as we enjoy community together, as we celebrate uh, the Lord's Supper, as we gather around the table. It doesn't cost us anything, but it cost Jesus everything. And so he is, inver- he is urging us to invite others to the party. Several years ago, our family moved to Salt Lake City, Utah to start a college ministry at the University of Utah. And we walked on campus uh, that first fall. I remember I didn't know the name of a single student. And as we began to meet students and start a couple Bible studies, it was painfully awkward. <laughs> uh, we, we gathered students who didn't fit in anywhere else, and, and when people would come to, to visit our group, they would mostly not come back. Um, and uh, awkwardness, I think, was the biggest impediment to the growth of our ministry. And um, all of the pastors running um, ministries uh, around the country would gather together every summer. And, and after my first year, um, of hosting awkward Bible studies. Uh, one of the other guys, one of these other pastors uh, said, you know, our, our strategy for starting a new campus ministry is that we just, we tell people we throw great parties. And I thought, that's a really weird thing to say, especially because we don't actually throw any parties at all. And mostly because it's really expensive. I mean, if you want to, um, as an outside group, host a party on a college campus, typically it's going to be very expensive. You've got to uh, pay to reserve the space. You've got to have the proper permitting and everything. You've got to pay somebody. You can't just like bring your Weber and start cooking hamburgers. You've got to uh, pay somebody to pr- prepare the food. And, and, um, and so we didn't do that. <laughs> but a year or so later, I, I was really getting tired of leading awkward Bible studies. And, and, and so I, I realized that we were either going to start throwing parties or, you know, we were going to lead small awkward Bible studies. And, and so I raised an extra $10,000 that year to put into, let's make the first six weeks of our ministry when freshmen arrive on campus all about providing a place of welcome. It's really expensive. But we threw a huge party the weekend freshmen moved in the dorms and students came and they ate and some of them came to our Bible study and a lot of them met Jesus. And there was a, a, a guy named Garrett who uh, started coming to our Bible study regularly and after he'd been there maybe six weeks or so, I took him out for coffee and I was asking him, how'd you get connected with our ministry And Garrett said, well, I'm a sucker for free food, so I came to your party. And when I was at your party, I heard about your Bible study, and I thought it would be really lame, but you gave me free food, so the least I could do is show up once. But he said, I thought you'd sing Kumbaya, and it'd be weird, and I would just never come back. But he said, when I was there, I never realized that um, the Bible was for me. He said, I never realized that the Bible was actually about me. He, he, he said, I never realized that, that um, God says something about my anger as I drive my car. And he said, I couldn't stop coming. And then he said this, you offered me a, a meal, and then eventually you offered me Jesus. 
by his junior year at the University of Utah, Garrett had um, become a member of our church and was leading, teaching uh, one of my son's Sunday school classes. And you know, in retrospect, I gotta think that $10,000 is about the best way we could have possibly spent that money. When we moved to Orange County to plant a church, somebody asked me, what's your church planting strategy? I said, we're gonna throw a lot of parties. See, I learned from the other thing. <laughs> and this guy said to me, I don't, I don't, what does that have to do with church? I don't get it. But here's the thing, friends. We live in a time where everything is awesome, <laughs> right? Technology has created a world where everything is amazing, but we are isolated and we are anxious. And I wonder if the truly awesome thing would not be wowing people with the latest thing, but maybe the truly awesome thing would be inviting someone over for a simple and wonderful meal. It's about building relationships, loving people, being known, creating space for others. What if we were a church that was known for throwing great parties? Because the Bible is telling us that God is throwing a feast and he wants us to bring people. It's called hospitality and we desperately need to recover this ancient Christian tradition. There have been numerous studies, and this is even pre-pandemic, uh, talking about the epidemic of loneliness that is creating adverse health uh, outcomes in our society, in Western society. The Boston Globe a couple years ago said this, in the, the increased mortality risk from loneliness is comparable to smoking and twice as dangerous as obesity. What if it was said of us? Those people must have been close to Jesus. Why? Because they throw such great parties. Because they are so welcoming. What if, what if we understood Christian maturity to be not can you recite the correct answers to theological questions? But how closely are you imitating our God and Father by welcoming neighbors into our homes? by giving them food, by giving them dignity, by building relationships? What if the mark of maturity for Christians was how well we practice hospitality? Now, obviously, in this time of COVID, there are challenges associated with that, right? I don't know exactly what this looks like. Maybe it looks like buying uh, groceries and leaving them um, on your neighbor's front door. I don't know. I don't know. But what I do know is this. God is throwing a feast, and he wants us to invite people. Greg Thompson, I referenced earlier, <laughs> he, he said something great. I want to close with this. He said, imagine that you were a traveler anywhere uh, from the 3rd to the 16th century, traveling anywhere in the known world at the time, anywhere from the Eastern Mediterranean all the way to Spain in the West, anywhere from Northern Africa in the South, all the way up to England, Scotland, Ireland, or even Germany in the North. 
Imagine you were a traveler during that time. You would spend your days walking and looking for a place to spend the night. And as the daylight began to fade, you would pull out your iPhone and you would open up Yelp and you would be looking not for a Hilton Garden Inn, but you would be looking instead for a church or a monastery. Because finding a church or a monastery meant that you had found a place where you would be certain to find welcome, to find safety, to be given a a pint of beer. I'm saying that for the guys that were on the Beard and Bottle uh, event last week. (laughs) A warm meal and a place to sleep for the night. This was the church's moral obligation to give shelter to those in need. Of all the things that a traveler could know about the church, that traveler knew that the purpose of the church was to be a light in the darkness, to be a place of hospitality. And so that traveler was looking for the church, would spend their day scanning the horizon for the church. She was looking for us. He was looking for us. Now here's the tragedy, friends. Our neighbors are still wandering, all right? They're still lonely. They're still isolated. They're still anxious. They're still searching for success and meaning, struggling with young children, all right? They're still wandering, but they're no longer looking for us. And so the question that I want to leave you with is this. They are not looking for us, but are we still looking for them? Friends, this is the good news. God is a host. He is eager to welcome you into his lavish kingdom feast. We experience a foretaste of that coming feast even now. And those who've experienced that foretaste of the feast, he sends back out as servants to invite others to come in to the feast. Amen.